One of the biggest lessons I've learned as a woman who organizes using the power of digital uh, social media is that sometimes change happens without militancy. And that is what we see when we see how women are coming together and men are coming together and young people are using the tools of social media to bring people together in very creative ways. Today we are here for a very special episode. As part of our Nigeria series, we are here to talk about the NSARS movement and police brutality. If you haven't already heard it, please do go and check our previous episode where we talk about anti-corruption in Nigeria. And this is a particularly useful episode to help provide a little bit of context to the topic we are about to discuss today. My name is Munagasim and this is Declarations. I'm joined today by a fantastic group of inspiring women and our panelist, Eddie. We're here to talk about SARS on the ground and the fight for greater equality, representation, and justice in Nigeria. So to provide our audience with a little bit of context, I'm about to introduce our amazing, amazing, wonderful guests. Thank you so much to the wonderful ladies for joining us today. Um, Aisha Yusufu is an active Nigerian citizen who demands good governance. She is unapologetic about her stance in fighting for justice and equity. She's a businesswoman who teaches financial literacy to empower people to be financially independent and also have a voice to demand good governance. Vomi Agugovia Gafar is an award-winning chemical engineer, energy consultant, and the founder of Ignite Energy Africa, a knowledge and innovation hub that helps shape the future of energy in Africa. They deliver quality energy data, research, and analysis that fosters a culture of innovation in the energy sector in Africa. Vomi holds a first-class degree in chemical engineering from UCL, and she received the first prize for the Young Engineers Award from the Institution of Chemical Engineers for Technical Breakthrough. Fomi is a speaker and writer and has written for publications such as The Independent. She's the author of Everyone Deserves to Sparkle and the founder of the Sparkle Initiatives, a social enterprise that empowers STEM education and inspires young people around the world to thrive and set the world on fire with their gifts. Lola Omolola builds communities that change people's lives. With a higher education in journalism and over two decades of experience in radio, TV, and digital project management, Lola knows what truly drives human-to-human communication to improve understanding, collaboration, and meaningful connections. When she's not mobilizing women to build compassion and peer-to-peer support, she helps organizations and audiences strategically build movements for good. As the founder of Female In, an exclusive Facebook community with more than 1.7 million members from 100 countries, she leads and develops structures and systems to amplify women's voices. Lola's award-winning work has been recognized by Mark Zuckerberg and Melinda Gates. You will find coverage of her work in the BBC, NPR, Newsweek, Routers, VOA, The Guardian, Chicago Tribune, and countless international media outlets. When she's not on a speaking tour or building community online and offline, you will find Lola in Chicago, where she lives with her husband and their two daughters. So ladies, um, let's just get right into it. I would like to sort of give our listeners a little bit of background on SARS. So if we could talk about, you know, starting at the very basics, what is SARS? Um, And in your own views and your own words, what is currently happening on the ground in Nigeria and why people are protesting? Maybe, Aisha, if we started with you. 
Okay, uh, thank you so much uh, for having me here. Uh, I think uh, starting from the basics, SAS simply means Special Anti-Robbery Squad. Uh, that's exactly, it's a unit of the Nigerian police uh, force that was put in place to ensure that uh, the uh, minors of uh, armed robbery is uh, ad adequately tackled. Unfortunately, they went above and beyond their powers and then ended up harassing uh, citizens and individuals. They were put in a place uh, when they were set up, when the SARS was set up, it was set up in a way that they didn't have to wear the police uniform so that they could walk undercover and not easily be identified and be able to effectively do their work. But they turned on the people and then started harassing just like, you know what they normally say, absolute power, corrupt absolutely, and that is what we have seen. Over the years, a lot of people had fallen, have fallen victim uh, to the uh, to, to SARS, the Special Anti-Robbery Squad. Uh, they kill with impunity, they maim, and they will look at somebody and say they are going to waste that person, nothing would happen to them. And indeed, they do waste, and nothing happens to them. And it's been like that all over for over two decades. And uh, in recent times, what we've had is absolute profiling and targeting of young men, young men and women, but most especially young men. And so it's, it's, it's something of a crime uh, in Nigeria to have uh, an Apple phone or a MacBook. It's seen as almost a crime to have dreadlocks. It's seen as a crime to ride a good car, especially if you're young. It's seen as a crime to, to be well-dressed. And so they profile and target young people and, and do all sorts of atrocities to them. In the last few years, there have been repeated calls for NSAS. As far back as 2017, there was a protest that was called for you know, to end SARS. And though not a lot of people turned out for that protest, but the Nigerian police had thousands of people that they got to actually protest pro-SARS, like we call them, to protest for SARS. And it, it, it went on. But in October, before, there was a shift. And this shift came from the fact that uh, a young man was, was killed in Portacot. He was 20 years of age and the police had wanted to check his phone, and he said no. For refusing to allow the policeman check his phone, he was shot four times, and he died. And his father was, uh, you know, came out to cry. Kotakos is in the southern part of um, Nigeria. And then he came out to, to, to cry and talk about the fact that his son was killed for nothing. And he had lived in the northern part of the country where you have more, sometimes more of uh, riots and all of that happening. And that nothing happened to him. He had come back with his family to Putakot and his son has been killed. Barely a few weeks after that, another death, death also, uh, not really, another attack happened in Ugi, in, in Delta State. At uh, this time, a young man was shot and his car was taken away by, by SARS. So when that happened, the, the people in Ugel in Delta State were very angry and they came out to the streets. The young people came out to the street to demonstrate. And of course, that caught up with uh, in, uh, the, rest, uh, the rest of the, uh, Nigeria. That caught up with the rest of Nigeria. In Lagos, some young uh, uh, Nigerians came out to say they were going to do a 72 uh, uh, hours protest. 
And that was from 7th of October to, uh, supposed to be to 9th of October. In Kano also, a young man called Adamu uh, uh, Ismail also called for a protest. Although in Kano, on that 7th of October, only two people come, came out, himself and another young man. And so when the protest started on the 7th of October in Lagos, uh, on the 8th of October, the Abu Abuja also, there was a protest in Abuja. I was part of that protest. Uh, it was called people, we went to the uh, police headquarters where we told them what was uh, happening and the fact that this needed to stop. Uh, they need to scrap our SARS. They were no longer doing their, their job. Let me just go back a little to say that the, the special anti-robbery squad, SARS, that was set up to fight robbery, the, the members of that squad actually became armed robbers themselves. And how did they become armed robbers? They became armed robbers by actually using the arms provided for them by the state to rob citizens. They will force citizens to, to empty their accounts. They will take citizens to uh, ATM and, and get them to withdraw money. They force citizens to uh, withdraw money and transfer to their accounts. And of course, people kept telling, uh, reporting those issues, but the police never did anything. And so we said to the police, those who are supposed to protect the people are now the ones who are actually harming the people. And this needed to stop. The IG of police refused to uh, see us that day. He drove in. He almost ran into people. He went into his house. At the end of the day, citizens uh, went away. On the 8th of October, uh, that was on the 8th. On the 9th of October, young citizens in Nigeria, young, uh, the youth, some of the youth, came out to protest. And as soon as they came out, the, the, the police attacked them and tear gassed them. And so that was what we saw that I was at home when I saw that. And Dr. Obiezo Kosili called me and said, what's going on here? And Dr. Obiezo Kosili, myself, and Maureen Kabrik went to see the IG of police. And we said to the IG, this is not acceptable. Citizens have a right to protest in Nigeria, and nobody can stop that. It is something that is constitutionally allowed. The police are supposed to provide protection and not harass uh, citizens. So on the 10th of October, this same citizen came out again. And that was when I joined them at the protest to be with them. And, where the, uh, and also the police ended up at the end of the day attacking uh, citizens and throwing tear gas and shooting and live bullets on that day. In the meantime, the Lagos state were also going on with their 72 hours uh, protest. They were at the at Alausa, the Lagos state uh, seat of government. They were threatened. The police, because they said they were going to sleep over for those 72 hours, the police came at one time, uh, put off the lights, told their cars were harassing them, and the citizens, you know, all over on social media that they were calling out, we were making the mass, and we we're saying that look, citizens have a right uh, to keep protesting. I will just round up here to say that, instead the protest that we see today, the NSAS protest is not like every other protest, that it's a protest of empathy. In the words of Florence Ozo, it is a protest for survival. Most of the people who came out for the protest were either victims or their family members had been victims. And more, many of them were victims many times over. And you find that in different states. So we, ha we have a situation where people knew that, look, it's either you're being, they were being killed under the cover of darkness, and then they came out uh, in daylight to ask their government to protect them from those whom the government have empowered to, to, to take care of them, to protect them who are now killing them. And what did the Nigerian government do? 
the Nigerian government decided to kill them all on the streets with the whole world watching and then tried to deny that. That is almost something that one cannot fetch up. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, um, Aisha. That was um, very, very informative. And I'd like to ask you a question about something that you said. So you said that SARS specifically has been targeting um, young Nigerian men. We've seen countless numbers of women rise up and, you know, be at the forefront of these protests and the activist movements on the ground. So I'd really like to ask, and I direct this question to, you know, all of the ladies, what role do you think women in Nigeria have with regards to the NSARS movement? And why is it that, you know, so many women have, you know, gone out into the streets and started to protest and fight? I, I think uh, in, in, in any protest or any uh civil disobedience that has worked in Nigeria, it has always had a very strong presence of women. Without the presence of women, somehow it just doesn't seem to work. Like I talk about the, 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 the 2017 or the 2000, I think it was 2018 NSAS protest that was, that, that was called. I don't even think whether any women were part of that, uh, organized, uh, of that uh, protest. I knew I sp- spoke at that protest. Uh, I wasn't part of organizing uh, that that particular protest, and it just didn't seem to go. It, it didn't seem to get anywhere. The Bring Back Our Girls uh, movement is a women-led uh, movement, and we have seen the impact that it made in Nigeria in ensuring that Chibo girls that were taken away, uh, 276 of them, uh, you know, 57 escaped immediately, and we had 219 uh, that were taken away. Uh, mm. Today we had we have 107 of Chibo girls uh, back, and we still have 100. Uh, 12 that we are making demands for. And so in, in every agitation that we've had, women have always played an important part. Going as far back as when you talk about the ABBA, ABBA women's uh, uh, protest, I like to call it protest rather than ABBA women's riot. It was more of a protest where women demanded for, for, for their rights and for the fact that they were being taxed too much and that, uh, and that wasn't acceptable. Even also the, the, the Abia Kuta uh, women uh, protest. So over time, we've always had this presence of women coming out and making demands and always being at the, at the forefront uh, to fight the, the fight. And it's not always about, oh, it's this gender or that gender, but it's just about the fact that, look, there's injustice out here and something needs to be done about it. And before I just round up, I, I, I would like to say that the feminist coalition played a very, very important part in the NSAS protest. And for me personally, I don't know uh, what opinion others have, for me personally, they were instrumental in how successful the NSAS uh, protest was. Their organizational skills that, that they brought in there, the strategies uh, and the use of technology, uh, the use of social media was really amazing. And it was what was able to shape uh, the NSAS uh, uh, protest to be the Occupy that it was rather than uh, just coming once a day, uh, a day and, do, and doing a protest and that uh, being it all. If I can jump in here uh, to piggyback on what Aisha Yusufu so eloquently said about women leading change in Nigeria. And this is so, so important. It's such an important point that I want us all to sit with it. In my role as someone who brings women, especially Nigerian, predominantly by far Nigerian women together, what led me to create a single Facebook group was just, um, you know, sitting here in my house in 2014, watching TV and seeing that 
close to 300 girls had been abducted. Armed men stormed the school. We all know about the Bring Back Our Girls situation that uh, Sister Aisha Yusuf just um, alluded to. That led me to decide that women's voices did not exist in you know, the larger experience of the Nigerian, especially as relates to actually creating space for us when it comes to making decisions that are directly impact our lives. And so we can see that while the Nigerian woman always takes on the burden of the responsibilities to fix everything. She still doesn't have the, she doesn't have space that allows her to make decisions that directly impact policy. Um, on the same year, I created this community, which we call FIM, uh, to bring women together. The Nigerian Senate killed a bill, uh, which if they had passed would have addressed and protected us from past and current discrimination. And we all know that a year or so after that, Nigeria had also given its consent to live by the United Nations Convention Treaty to eliminate all forms of discrimination against us. That all sounds great on paper, right? But the truth is, very far from it. The Nigerian constitution doesn't actually protect our rights. So despite us having to deal with that, on you know on that front we still it's we are still be the ones who are looked upon to come out and do the fighting for everybody else so you want to know how this all uh, uh, impact us all you need to do is spend one day to actually listen to the average nigerian woman one day to read listen and watch what life looks like for us on the receiving end of these failed bills and policies. And that's exactly what I do every day in my role as uh, someone who has brought together more than uh, 1.7 million of us around the world. And that's what I intend to do uh, for the rest of my life. So to respond directly to your question, we have always done this, as Sister Aisha also alluded to. We have always been the one who are screaming and in pain, on, you know, having to deal with the burden of it. And yet, we are the ones who are also looked upon to fix everything. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, just to jump in um, and to add to what everyone has said. Yes, indeed, Nigerian women have always played a very active role. Um, we have examples of people like Chief Fumilayo Rabsukuti, who is a, who was a Nigerian political campaigner and women's rights activist. Um, in the protests and the fight for Nigerian to get its independence, she played a very active role. I was a forerunner in that movement. So Nigerian women have always been able to mobilize, come together, be empathic, and drive for the change that they want for their families, their children, and their local communities. Um, in fact, the reason why I even wrote the article on the independence was because I was seeing a lot of my peers um, come together and they were able to, you know, collaborate. People, you know, using their strengths. We saw lawyers um, giving pro bono services to help people that had been wrongly arrested. We saw doctors helping people. We saw people that had food businesses, young people donating food to protesters. And I was just so inspired by the ability of so many women to come together and push for what they wanted. And so this is something that's always happened in Nigeria's history and Today, in this NSAS protest, it was something that was very, very active and was very, very you know, prevalent. Women actually coming together to push for a common goal. I have to tell you that the stories that are coming out, because every single day I spend time listening to our sisters and actually listening to the struggles, not, you know, from the mouth of a mouthpiece or someone who is paid to, you know, come up with an opinion or someone who has to work off a canned 
set of rules or a concept of lists. We actually are sitting there every day, Nigerian women, and sharing experiences about our own lives. Then stories start coming out. In the first two days of the NSARS protest, do you know that we got more than 1,200 women actually talking about their direct engagements and direct contacts Mm -hmm. with police? One of the women... I'm going to just go straight to her story. She said that she, he laid in wait, the officer laid in wait for her in the middle of working on her master's thesis. And at the same stop, he stopped her and he demanded her phone number and accused her of being a prostitute when she wasn't going to give the number to him. Often calling, you know, calling her to come, let's go chill. Guess what? She eventually gave him the number and he would call her nonstop. These are the people who are charged with taking care of us and watching out for us and protecting us. After not picking his calls, he accosted her again on, on her way to school and he slapped her across the face in front of everybody. These stories are everywhere and they are similar. Soon afterwards, he invited her uh, other officers to join in and they began to touch her inappropriately in a sexual manner. Seize her phone when she tried to get help threatened her with gang rape, pointed a gun into her face, painted a picture of what they could do to her body after they had had her way with her and told her, told her point blank, that she's an armed robber who who tried to get away. That was going to be their story. She paid 5,000 naira to get out with her life. This is what she believes. And there are countless stories like this coming out from women and we just cannot look away. Um, definitely. Just to add on that, um, one of the first stories I personally heard about um, someone's encounter with Ensa. So this is a friend of mine um, who had moved back from the UK back to Nigeria and she was on, on her way back from work at night, maybe 10 p.m. And she was stopped by a police officer with gun in hand who was harassing her for her phone number, asking her why a beautiful girl like her was out at night. She was so frightened that she had to leave the country and had to relocate back to the UK because he was pointing his gun at her and really harassed her. But that was someone that was able to get out. Imagine the people in Nigeria that are not able to escape from such a situation or an encounter, how the story ends for them. And I think that's the important thing about this movement. A lot of people have forgotten what the focus and the point of it is. It is about the lives of people that are being harassed. Speaking of, you know, digital community, um, bringing women together, we spoke about, so, you know, Lola, you have female in. Um, the Leke Tollgate massacre was live streamed by DJ Switch on social media and SARS was trending. I'd like to ask each of you what role you believe social media plays in in this activism and these activist movements um, and where you think sort of, you know, online and social media participation and helping to enact change and foster community is heading. When we just got started bringing women together on Facebook, the largest group of people, like everyone was a little terrified because every time women are coming together, it scares it, it scares the structures, the traditional structures a little bit. Like, uh-oh, they're coming together. What are they talking about? Are they, ta- are they trying to take over? And so on and so forth. We got a lot of blowback from that. It was just brutal in those early days. But here is what I found. They were right. The truth of the matter is, when women are coming together, 
We're able to actually hold up a mirror and show one another what is possible. We're able to hold up a mirror and show one another that when you see yourself outside in your own little world, you don't really realize that you're not alone. You don't really have the ability to put your own story, put your own experiences side by side with the experiences of other people and have a very relative clarity on what your situation is, if something is wrong, if something is right. And that is what social media has allowed us to achieve. Digital community building, I think, isn't just something that is a great way to get people socially conscious about issues relating uh, and directly impacting their lives, digital uh, community building might be the saving grace of all of us. Look what we've been able to achieve. We have essentially been able to sidestep the same traditional structures that are historically devaluing our voices. We are able to come together, completely sidestep them, and be able to, to, to really bring ourselves together, organize ourselves, lead ourselves out of the prying eyes of systems that have usually worked to silence us. I think that that is one of the most uh, amazing stories of our time, really. And uh, as if I didn't mention before, our community doesn't only, we may have started on Facebook and we bring ourselves together in that way, but we have had events in person in more than 80 cities across four continents. It's just women getting together, listening to each other, talking together, having peer-to-peer support to support each other. And most importantly, and this is how I think it directly answers your question, we are getting socially conscious. We are getting socially aware of what is happening. And because the, uh, the, that fire is now, is now really alive within us, we're able to better um, say something or better add our voices to the NSARS movement. We're be- better uh, ready to be able to ask for what we want. We're better, like we're likelier to go on the internet. And when we see a story that we don't agree with or people being castigated unfairly, we're able to jump in because we are clear on what the problems are. And to an extent, we're clear on what the solutions would be. So I think that it has just made us better prepared for you know the struggles that we are facing. And it has also given us the strength to be more likely to actually jump in and say something rather than be relegated in, um, in the corner. Just to pop in on a really interesting note that I think you I think you make. Um, it's interesting that Finn as an organization, it sounds like what you're talking about is it begins online, it begins with women coming together online, but what it actually bleeds out into is the real world and the real activism in the in the world. I was wondering, Aisha, if you'd be able to comment on that process in relation to the hashtag NSARS activism, which obviously has accrued the use of over twenty-eight million hashtags on Twitter but it's also very, very powerful in real life. What do you think the role of digital media has played in those movements? Uh, so, so for me, uh, uh, just like Lola uh, has uh, said, social media uh, has really helped a lot. And I would say that social media is the game changer in Nigeria. And most importantly is the fact that social media has now meant that media is democratized. So everyone has have access to media, equal access to media and people can speak and be heard, not just what we have before. So let if I look back to when I was a very young person, as a child, the government would always speak to Nigerians the way they want. And they did that 7 a.m. 
that's when you get to hear the news and then night, 7 a.m in the morning and then 7, 9 p.m at night so that's when you get to hear the news and then the government will just tell you what they want to tell you and that's it so they didn't have to hear anything from citizens no feedback nothing even when we had times where okay there was not private uh, uh, sector involved in the media there was still control because it was quite expensive for you to be able to go on media and speak or on on or, or take out a publication in a newspaper or get yourself being heard. So it meant that government had control. But with the social media, it's not the same thing. So people have the, have the capacity now to bring issues to the table that the government is forced to discuss. People have the capacity to be able to come together on an issue, irrespective of the fact that they have never seen each other, they don't live in the same place, they live in different communities or different states or different countries, they are able to come together with social media and take up an issue and be able to crowdfund for that issue, be able to strategize on what to do, be able to call for a protest and people will come and be at that protest and ensure that things are being done. So for me, social media really is, is, is everything. And one of the things I always say about the NSAS uh, youth is the fact that, or the youth of today, is the fact that they have intelligence, they have strategy, they have social media, they have uh, 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 technology going for them and all of this and they also have creativity all of these are amazing tools that they can deploy against a government that has only one thing and that's violence the nigerian government only prides itself in the fact that it has violence to unleash on people whether it is during protests whether it is during uh, uh election where they unleash violence and ensure that people are forced to stay away from election or people are beating up and, and, and all of that. And that's exactly what they're doing also with to protest and shrinking the civil space. But all of those tools that, that, that the youth have, and the, they, it can be deployed in different creative uh, ways to ensure that whatever issue is being fought for, it's heard and it's listened to. And the power of social media in the fact that we have a government that is trying to gaslight people right now. Something that happened, the, the Lekki uh, toll gate massacre was streamed live. And yet the government with the pictures around, the videos around, the timestamps and everything, the government is, is still trying to deny that such massacre that happened which is something that that we all watch. We saw a situation whereby talks were deployed all, all over Nigeria. They were ferried around in police vehicles, in military vehicles, in government vehicles, and they were unleashed on, on NSAS protesters. They ended up beating the NSAS protesters, maiming them, killing some of them. The NSAS protesters were able to apprehend some of them, I handed them over to the police, yet the police uh, refused uh, to accept them. All of these were captured on cameras. We are all on social media, deployed, and the government, no, they can't deny it because this is what happened. But we just that we have impunity of a government that feels that it can do anything and nothing uh, will be done uh, to it. So I, I, for me, I would say the social uh, social media played a 
very, very uh, important role, not just in ENSAS uh, advocacy, but in a whole lot of advocacy that, that, that we've had since the uh, since social uh, the version of uh, social media. And uh, it meant that the whole world can actually see what is happening uh, in Nigeria, unlike before, where we have a government that will do what it wants to do, which is to kill men, uh, unleash brutality, be as dictatorial as, as it wants to. And the world, it will take a lot of time before the news will filter to the world and people will take note of what is happening. Just using the social media, immediately as things are happening, it puts uh, 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 the world on alert that indeed, look at the atrocities that are being meted out on citizens in Nigeria. And sadly, one of the things we have is the fact that the Nigerian government is always more interested in the voices from outside Nigeria than in the voices from within Nigeria. And that's the role that the Nigerians in diaspora really, really play. And I think it's something that we also should discuss on the important role that the Nigerians in diaspora uh, really play. And, and I say that if we need to get a country that really will work for us, a Nigeria that works for us, we need the Nigerians in diaspora to be fully on board. Like I mentioned earlier, more than 1,200 women were able to say their specific experience, their own personal experience, and share that with close to 2 million women. At the same time, no bars, no filters. We also had to take some other steps, talking about creativity, to make this you know, to get the word out on the police brutality and the work, the marching, the protesting that people, Nigerians were doing around the world. Uh, we created a visibility frame uh, where women were able to say, I marched. I went out in my city and I marched. This spread, further spread the word, further got people talking, further got people joining those that have organized uh, to go fight for what they believe to, you know, would be the first step on changing the circumstance, especially around police brutality. So I just wanted to put that out there, is that the people, we applaud the people who are working hard on the streets. Women like Aisha Yusufu, who's going out there to change our circumstance, to change the story on our lives. But also, lots of changes happening on the other side without militancy, and it's not any less powerful or impactful. This actually builds off um, what you were saying, Eddie, about, you know, the online world translating into offline action. And Lola, you put that very eloquently that it's sort of both kind of help each other and you need both. You need the diaspora, you need social media, you need digital community, but you also need people, you know, enacting change on the street, protesting, fighting. Um, Obviously, this year has been a profoundly uh, difficult year for many people. And we've seen a lot of movements and a lot of young individuals taking to the streets and fighting for change and protesting. Um, and I'd like to ask you, ladies, for your opinion on that. What do you think is the best avenue for change? Can you be an activist if you're if you're just online sort of tweeting, raising awareness? Or is activism sort of a combination of both? Um, is it Does it involve policy? Does it involve protesting? Does it involve um, social justice in- initiatives. What is activism to to you, and how how do you define being an activist? I see that there are different ways to drive change. Um, I kind of see it like the human body. Some people will be the hands, 
Some people will be the brain. Some people will be the mouth. Some people will be the feet. So some people will take to the streets. Some people will think about policies. It's going to be done in very different ways. And just what you said about, you know, different movements going on around the world is that one thing that was kind of constant across the different movements was that they kept saying that there were no leaders. It seemed like a leaderless protest. But the reason why it seemed that way was because different people got up to do the different things they could do and contribute in their different ways. So some people were just tweeting and putting hashtags and, you know, adding celebrities and, you know, world leaders to get attention. Some people were donating food. Some people were donating money. Some people were writing articles. I wrote an article. So everyone contributed in different ways. And I think that is kind of what it means to be a change agent, doing what you can do with whatever skills or resources that you have. And I feel like what really happened with this protest, you know, and even social media, you know, I feel like it actually needs to be studied because I believe this is how we can actually also bring change across different areas in Nigeria, across education, across energy. For example, um, I started the Ignite Energy Africa Knowledge Hub. I literally just started it at home and I built a knowledge hub and I started putting things on Instagram and, you know, reaching out to people to interview them on YouTube. And I've been able to build a knowledge hub where people can find information about energy in Africa, about, you know, insights and strategies and interviews. But I literally just did that from connecting with different people online and just playing the part I could. And so I think being a change agent is getting up and doing what you can do with whatever resources you have in your own way. And I believe this mobilization and collaborating with other people is what is going to drive change in whatever fair anyone wants to drive change in. And uh, that's a really good point you make. And I'd like to, you, you mentioned Ignite Africa, which is the, you know, the innovation hub that you've built. And I'd like to talk about sort of the interplay of entrepre- entrepreneurship and social change and what you believe that is. So this this season, we're all about looking at, you know, innovative ways for people to engage in activism. Um, and I think, you know, Nigeria has a has a bustling community of entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs. And I like to talk about how, what role entrepreneurship plays with enacting change and social activism and how people can integrate their entrepreneurship to make positive change. Okay, so entrepreneurship plays an active role in driving change because with an entrepreneur, you are innovating. You are being the change that you want to see, right? So you want to, you know, you want more renewables in Africa, for example. You start up and you get a business. You start driving in that direction. Also, with being an entrepreneur, you kind of have a voice. You kind of, you know, have people following you. You can drive a change. But also, starting businesses in Nigeria hasn't been one of the easiest things. It's quite difficult getting funding, you know, actually working with policies. And so what you said about being innovative and being creative, really comes in into being an entrepreneur, um, which we also sort of came in into protesting. And so a lot of ways that I feel like people can kind of drive that is actually still through collaboration as well, because there are a lot of incubators coming up. There are a lot of people that have similar points of views. Like you see, the, the Feminist Coalition, I believe that the reason why they could really you know, come together and move things and drive change was because they collaborated to come with a common goal and everybody brought their strengths in to achieve that. So I believe being an entrepreneur in Nigeria plays a big role in terms of, you know, the driving the change you want to see, but you really, really need to, you know, step into that collaborative role and see what avenues you can collaborate with other people and how you can drive that innovation that you want to see. I think that's a really interesting response because 
obviously, Vomi, you're talking about the economic way to make change in Nigeria. And Lola, you've been talking about the social underpinnings of some of these routes. Now, just to link back to our last episode we had in Nigeria, the conclusion that the experts from Global Integrity seem to have come to was that there was so much political complexity that actually the only profitable way to make progress in Nigeria didn't seem to be from political direction, but maybe from an economic or social point of view. I was wondering, Aisha, whether you thought that was the case as well. Uh, so, so before I answer, uh, get down to answer this particular uh, question on political complexity, I think uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give a few of my points on the question that was earlier raised uh, on the best avenue uh, for change and whether it's, it's protest. I think uh, uh, it, it is just, as has been said, it is all different parts coming together. There's no one way of doing it. So protesting is important. The social media campaign is equally very important. Policy making, politics, these are all ways that we could go about uh, making uh, uh, changes uh, in our country. And every one of them is valid. And, and like I always say to people, you know, most times we see people who stand on, on the streets, who protest, who come out, and we are so focused on them and think, Sort of like they're the ones, the only ones doing the work. No, there are so many who 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 are not being heard, who who are making amazing changes, and I, and I've consistently, you know, pointed uh, uh, that out to to all of us. And I think uh, when it comes to like issue of writing, so many people are writing about the, the issues, writing articles. These are equally as important. Uh, policy, some, some, some of their own advocacy is towards policy uh, for formation. Some of them, it's social media uh, campaigning. And every one of them, every one of those um, methods towards getting the desired change that we all want, it's very, very valid and very, very important. So it's not just the boots on the streets or, or only that are doing uh, the work. There are a lot of people are doing them in the background. And most times, these are the ones who have been so many uh, tankless and, uh, uh, you know, selfless service that most of us don't get to see. They, at the end of the day, they are the ones that drive that final push in terms of making sure that the issues are on, on the front burner in terms of creating awareness, in terms of driving policy from uh, formulation. But most importantly also is when we look at politics. For us to be able to fix our country, we must fix politics. And politics participation is something that we have to look uh, uh, to in Nigeria, especially Nigeria being that country where uh, politics have been demonized and good people are shamed out of politics. It's almost a thing of a shame for one to be seen uh, to, to, to run for, uh, for a political office or to be involved in politics. And that mindset has to be taken away because at the end of the day, we cannot get anything done if we do not fix politics, if we do not ensure that we have uh, people with competence, character, capacity, empathy, people who are patriotic, people who are innovative, coming into, into leadership and be, being in our leadership uh, position. Uh, before I go on to, to that question, I would just like to talk also briefly about the issue of the NSAS protest. A lot of people say it's leaderless. It's not leaderless. It's the Nigerian government that is leaderless. It wasn't leaderless. It's just that it is not the traditional kind of leadership that 
people are used to. And we have to understand that. Whether we like it or not, COVID-19 has brought in a new order. We're going to see a new world. Things are not like the way they used to do. There are people who never believed that they could work for their houses now from their homes, and now they do work from their homes. There are people who felt, oh, you have to be in the office from nine to five, or there are bad for you to get things work. I'm a businesswoman. I, I hate staying in the office. I do all my businesses from home. I have my warehouses where people are the ones who are there while I work from home. A lot of people found it strange that, oh, how, how come you don't, you're not always in the office? How come you're told? But now we see a new world where these things are being done. So the NSAS protests had uh, a leadership, but not a traditional kind of leadership where you want, where you have one person. Remember, the movement was made up of leaders and they were able to work similarly and in such cohesion, able to come together and just work in, in sync and be able to get uh, things done. And you saw the issue of where the government, and a lot of people kept saying, that, oh, the government said they don't know who to, who to talk to, you need to come to the negotiating table. They were hours at the negotiating table. The NSAS protests are right from day one. On the third, uh, when the government brought out the 505, the, the, the police, the NSAS uh, protesters immediately brought out what their own 545 was. And 19 days uh, later, they also brought out what the government needed to do. So it was the government that was never at the negotiating table. The NSAS protesters were always at the negotiating table. But it's not the traditional kind of negotiating table that people understand, where oh, you stop everything, you now go into uh, office, closed door, and begin to have a meeting. No, they had, they were multitasking. While they were still on the streets, they were still negotiating because they felt they didn't need to physically own meeting in one place for negotiation to go on. These are the terms, work on them, get them done, and that is it. And of course, at the end of the day, the government uh, didn't get that done. On the issue of uh, entrepreneurship and activism, I think I see this quite interesting. For example, most of the NSAS protesters and organizers are actually entrepreneurs. So they're used to in Nigeria, I've, I've been a businesswoman since the year 2000. So this year, it's been 20 years that I've had to, I've been, I've been an entrepreneur. And for me, I always say the difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur is the fact that the business owner has to do the things themselves. The entrepreneur puts a system in place so that with or without them, the business can run. And the the excess protests are a good number of them are entrepreneurs so they're used to getting things work in a system where things are not working they're used to making decisions they're used to strategy they're used to uh thinking out of the box and making things happen especially in a country where there was not enough conducive environment for people to thrive, for businesses to thrive. they were able to find niches from for themselves where they they tried and because of that they be, they became a target to a police force that didn't understand why these young people could be thriving so well, why they weren't doing so much. And just a bit of digression uh, to, to, to put forth the point, there was a video that went viral uh, some years ago of a policeman who had accosted a young man who had a phone, an Apple phone, and was saying, oh, this costs how many how much of his how, how many months of his salary that this boy, this boy according to him the way he referred to him is holding can you imagine that i have to work this long so just that entrepreneurial 
spirit was able to help the ancestors protesters uh, organize themselves so much into the, the efficient team uh, that they became and they did. So for me personally, as an entrepreneur, I didn't. Uh, so I could. I was able to have control over my voice. I was able to have. I was able to have control over what I do. I didn't have anybody coming to threaten me either with my job or my business or in terms of maybe I do contracts with a government. I've never done anything with government. I've never done contracts with them. I'm a businesswoman. I buy and sell, and my customers are, are citizens, not anything to do with government. So that sort of like gave me a bit of uh, control in my capacity to be able to use my voice because there are a lot of people who have been victimized and have been made uh, to stay away uh, from issues. Then coming to the question that I was asked on the issue of political complexity, and I think at the end of the day, if we really need to get ourselves off this track of every day, one atrocity or the other, uh, and, and lack and bad governance being meted out, people have to participate in politics. It's as simple as that. The young people today, the answers, protesters, all Nigerians, people with computer character capacity, people who are ready to serve, people who are patriotic, people who are innovative. It is time for every one of us to get into politics. We cannot fix Nigeria without fixing politics. It's as important as that. Whatever you do, you will continue to have people who are going to be in office and we shatter everything, cause more problems, make people to, to be at a place where you have more issues coming, coming out. We are hearing about hundreds of boys that have been taken away uh, in, in, in Katsuna State at a place called Kankara in, in Nigeria. This is six years, six years after the, the, uh, the abduction of Chibo girls. We saw the abduction of Gapchi and the terrorists Boko Haram are coming out to say that indeed they were the ones who did this because they do not want children, children going to school. So in as much as you come out to protest, in as much as you're coming out every day making agitation, as long as you have people in power who are not doing the needful, who are not uh, providing good governance, who are not pro uh, securing lives and properties, which is the primary responsibility of government, government then we'll continue to be on the streets. And it is very important for everyone of us to understand that all of these atrocities that we, what we are seeing just simply boil down to one thing, and that is the failure of governance. In 2014, we got that, and we understood that. And we knew that, we, and we used to say that, and unfortunately it has come to pass, that if we do not get the politics of our nation right, we will keep coming out on the streets to make demands for Chibokas. And that is what we, we're, seeing, we're seeing right now. So it's very important in terms of political complexity. It's not even, if you talk about the economic uh, growth and development and all of that, who are the ones to put policies in place? The fiscal and monetary policies, who are the ones doing it? The ensuring that there's enabling environment for businesses to thrive, who are the ones doing it? It all comes to government. And if you don't have the right people in, in governance, you don't have the right people who care about the, uh, the, uh, the citizens of the nation, then we'll continue to have bad governance happening. We continue to have this insecurity. We continue to have things not just working and the nation will deteriorate. So the most important thing is to ensure that we get to fix that politics. We get people empowered the electorates so that their illiteracy and their poverty will no longer be weaponized, ensure in a way also that they have empowerment. And I do like you said, the economic empowerment, but there's so much more by getting people uh, to be done by getting people uh, in government. And then finally also is to ensure that the system, uh, the system of uh, those who are the empires who get the election uh, to be done uh, are also uh, 
strengthened. The constitution is strengthened. The electoral laws are strengthened. These, these, all of them coming together are what we need to do for our country. Speaking of the Nigerian government, so the government has been talking about SWAT to replace SARS, and this has, you know, received massive backlash and, and a rejection um, by the people. So I'd like to ask you, ladies, what do you want to see occurring and where do you think we are heading? So where is Nigeria going from here? And that, that's directed to all of you. So whoever wants to, you know, um, answer, feel free. Just on, just on the topic of young people, maybe Vermi, if you'd like to start, what, what do you think the young people's opinion is as far as you can be consider yourself a representative? What do you think the young people's hopes are for the rest of the NSARS moment? I, I can't really speak for all the young people because I know everyone will have individual, you know, opinions on what they want to move forward. But I think what most young people want to see is a Nigeria that works for them. Um, as someone that grew up in Nigeria for the first 16 years of my life, um, you know, you hear stories of some grandparents or parents about how Nigeria was. So my mom went to University of Lagos and, you know, when she was graduating, um, people would come on campus to you know, get people for graduate jobs. They got benefits. It, it was working to an extent. And just to see the deterioration of the country, I think for me as a young person and many people, it's quite painful, um, especially when you have, you have left the country, you have seen other countries and how it can, it can work. And there's no reason why we cannot be like one of these other countries. We have the resources, we have the intelligence, we have the skills, we have everything. So I think it's that frustration. And most people just want to see a Nigeria that works, a Nigeria that, you know, there's light, there's energy, there's good education, you know, there's security, which is one of the most important things. You know, you can go out and you come back without anyone shooting you or harassing you. And so I think another thing also is, People want, young people want to also be engaged. Um, we want to have a say in the future of our nation. And we want to know that we are being listened to and people are taking us on board on what we think because th the country belongs to us and our children and our generations to come. So I believe one thing with this whole protest and that what people started saying is that it's not just about answers, it's about many other things, it's about good governance, it's about good roads, it's about so many other things, is that we want to be engaged. We want to know that the country is going somewhere. We want to know that things are going to be put in place. So we don't have to keep running out of the country to go and live in other countries. Um, so I don't know that's the way I can put it. Thank you so much, Femi. That's, that's really well put and also really inspiring. Lola, what would you say your goals are in the wake of hashtag NSARS, but also for the next decade to come? My goal is to make sure that every single woman understands the value of her own voice. Every woman understands, because that is, those are, I cater to women every day. But it's important for the women to realize that when we're not speaking up, telling our stories, seeing what happened to us. Another example I'm going to give quickly is a woman, I, I, I call it baby blues, is a woman who was bringing a new baby home from school in Oweri to Umwahia uh, with her sister. Without showing any cause, she was accosted and accused of stealing her baby. And she was required to breastfeed the baby in open view of the officers. They threatened to take her baby away to a nearby orphanage and have the mom placed under arrest. Imagine the horror. She was detained in uh, what she, she called the middle of nowhere. And she was detained with a two-day-old baby on a rainy day 
from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Again, she had to pay to get freed. The truth of the matter is, when we don't hear these stories, we don't know what to fix. When we don't hear and really get clarity on what our sisters are going through day by day by day, it doesn't really hit us. The depth of the struggle, of the pains that regular people are dealing with. And so my what I care about is ensuring that each woman understands that in order for her, in order for her to be a driver for change, because we have to assess the power of individual and collective intelligence to actually move us forward. On the very completely grassroots level, if each woman doesn't understand, it's woman, man, child, youth, doesn't understand that each of our voices, it represents our freedom. We are going to continue to struggle. I think the real work does not come from top to bottom. It comes from the bottom up. And that is the reason why I believe mobilizing the power of people power, you know, like it's kind of like Christmas spirit. <laughs> we call it Finn spirit in our community. Igniting each and every person to be able to add their voice. And just like Sister Aisha Yusufu said, and Vome said so beautifully as well, when we all join in and try to work toward changing policy and try to occupy places that make a difference for us, not just the people on the top, not just the smartest and the most intelligent and the most innovative in our midst, but absolutely everybody sees the value in becoming part of the solution. And then we have a real chance at changing things. We no longer need the permission of the regular people or the regular institutions. We can now, we now have the powers in our hands to sidestep them. And like she is doing with the Knowledge Hub, helping people have clarity, showing more ways for us to, you know, to teach ourselves what what change should look like and do the work. That is what we need. We need the people to work together, to scream together, to shout together, to demand together. And that is why we need to do more community, community, community building. We cannot have more. We can't, we can't, we can't build too many movements. I think that that is the way to, you know, upend what has happened, what is happening, the decay of our society. Thank you so much for that, Lola. I'm just aware that we're very low on time. So I just wanted to hear from each of you. If you had one sentence to communicate to the people in the UK, the people in the US who know about incels but don't really know what it represents or what it means to the people in Nigeria at the moment, if you had a billboard in Piccadilly Circus with one sentence on it, what what would you say? Um, I would say when one of us does well, we all do well. Um, and I would say that sentence to kind of get people to be more interested in what's going on and to kind of you know, contribute in whatever way they can. Because sometimes when you see something going on in another place, you can close an eye, but realizing that globally, when one country does well, we all do well. So that would be my sentence. So I, I would say injustice to anyone, anywhere, is injustice to everyone, everywhere. And that until we are all free, no one is truly free. And what happens to another happens to us all. So we shouldn't look away and think that it's happening elsewhere. 
that it will not get to us. It's only a matter of time because we have people who want to truncate humanity. And if we allow them to do that, they will come after every one of us. What I'll, ha- I'll have on such a billboard is to communicate to people the value of being part of the conversation and being part of the effort. The only, my sentence would be, the only missing piece of the puzzle is you to place that strong sense of responsibility on the regular person. That's beautiful. That's very powerful. Um, you know, what we've spoken, at, spoken about today was really about making change and doing what you can to enact change. And we're all about sort of giving our listeners the tools, the tools to be activists in their daily lives. And I'd like to ask each one of you how you think people can participate. So how can they help sort of the NSARS movement? How can how can they do something about it? What is the best avenue for them um, to reach out and make change? Um, and if you'd like to recommend any resources, that would also be wonderful. So I always say a good way for people to get involved in a cause or whatever is to really educate themselves. So what I do with Ignite Energy Africa or the Sparkle Initiatives is all about educating yourself and building knowledge. Um, That's a a good start. And then from there, you can see how you want to get involved. So I would tell people to read a lot. There are a lot of articles that were written about it on The Guardian, The Independent, so many news articles carried it. So just Google, read a lot about it, read about the stories. You can look at community pages like thin um, as well. So just educate yourself, I would say. And then from there, you will get the passion or the inspiration to contribute in whatever way you want to, if it's by sharing about it or any other way you feel led to. I was going to say that a woman's rights is also a very big issue um, in Nigeria. And UNICEF has said that about 10.5 million children are out of school and a high proportion of them are women, girls. But also about 43% of girls in Nigeria are married before their 18th birthday. Um, This is said by girls, not brides. And so these are the statistics. And these are some of the things we're also standing up for, is that we're standing up for human rights in general, but also specifically girls and women's rights in Nigeria, because it's a big issue. And that's one of the things I do with the Sparkle Initiatives as well, is to to speak to young girls and try and extend that around, around Nigeria. So that was something I wanted to add as well, that, you know, this fight is for everyone, but also there's a big focus on girls and women's rights as well. Would, would you actually would you be able to just clarify what is the Sparkle Initiative just to our to our listeners? Okay, the Sparkle Initiative is a social enterprise, and we give talks, workshops, you know, organize events that helps you know encourage young people to thrive, use their gifts and their talents to become their best selves. So we give talks in schools in the UK, like St Paul's Girls. Um, in Australia, but we also do most of our social work in Nigeria, where we go to orphanages to speak to young girls on how they could increase their confidence, how they can grow, educating them, how they can do well academically as well. And so we have two parts of what we do. We have more of the business angle in the UK and other countries, but we do our social work in Nigeria. Wonderful. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for, you know, the inspiring work that you do and for, you know, 
being such forces for social change and for inspiring so many other women and so many other young people to to you know fight for change and to to speak up and to voice their opinion so we thank you so much for joining us today it was an absolute pleasure this was declarations you can find us on apple podcasts or any other streaming service thank you very much